Welcome to Superhero Best Picture Century, the podcast where we watch and discuss every superhero-adjacent movie that won the Best Picture Oscar since the year 2000. I'm, I'm shaking Dan. my head <laughs> every so single strong one. at you. This is so dumb. We are Superhero Century. I'm Dan. I'm Tom. I'm Matt. And reluctantly, I'm Kat. We're back. We took a break. Summer break. How was your summer, everybody? Hot. Cat's still sunburn. Yeah, nice. it's not good. Oof, the Minnesota State Fair will do that to you. Too many cheese curds and beer for me to remember to put on sunscreen. And poor decisions. Yep. Nice. All right. Well, if you're new to the podcast, usually we review superhero movies of the 21st century. This time is kind of adjacent to that. We are doing 2014's Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. <laughs> Matt, we don't agree. No. In general. We don't, typically. But would you say that this is more of a superhero movie than some of the others we've watched? Yeah, but I'm angry about those two. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that to take away from my anger that we watched other things, like that weird Italian detective movie, which it felt... Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. Yeah, oh, right. that, that felt wrong. Uh, and and uh, We're not here to talk about What's those? the biggest one I hate? I um, just want you to squirm. Scott Pilgrim. Yes, that doesn't belong on the list. And nor shall this, but it will affect the ratings, I have no doubt. So we rewatch the movie, give our basic thoughts, and then we've got some fun questions and categories that will help us break it down even further. So, Birdman from 2014. Matt, can you give us a 15-second recap of this movie? Sure, I can, I can try. Should I drum in the background? Yeah, really, really, really dramatic. I like that you're drumming and also doing it with your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Double drums, please. Um, I, for some reason, wrote my recap in the style of uh, a Twilight Zone intro, which gives me comfort sometimes. Okay. So picture, if you will, a man, a man named Riggin. Uh, he's unlike any other man, because unlike most men, he's a bird man. And not of the avian variety, mind you, but of the superhero kind. Now he's on Broadway, but mentally off. What is real, what is not, doesn't matter. I don't know, this movie's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good thank yeah. you so this movie is famous for its long take it's all shot as it's stitched together but it's meant to look like one long take if you kids can think back to a film called 1917 not made in 1917 that was the most recent movie to do an equally silly trick yes but at the time 2014 this was pretty groundbreaking, I, I mean, would say. before then, it really hadn't happened since Rope, famously, the Hitchcock film. There is a movie called Russian Ark that did it, but it was not very popular. Well, we didn't watch that here. Yeah. I also, I like that you said this silly little trick. Yes. 19, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. Well, it's also effective filmmaking. Ah, it, why doesn't everyone do it then? Because it doesn't fit every story. Because it's really hard to do. Wow, that's, 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 yeah. that's the major one. It's really hard to do. I, I put it in almost a similar character, character of 3D in terms of like, what does this movie do? That's the, that's the thing for this thing. I think we'll talk about the effectiveness of it in a second here. But um, before we get into it, just some basic facts about the movie. Directed by Alejandro González Iñárritu. How many weeks have Did you I practiced that, right? that Dan? Uh, not at all. That was the first time coming out of my mouth. Ooh. Yeah. It sounded right? right in there. Okay, I'm going to mess it up again when I say it later. Well, you should just call him by his first three letters. AGI? Yeah. Uh, he directed like Amoris Peros, 21 Grams, Beautiful, before this. He obviously went on to do The Revenant. Ah. And he did one last year called Bardo, which was kind of a flop. About Bridget? No. Oh. He did Babel. He did Babel, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, it was written by him and then three other guys, Nicholas Jacobone. <laughs> sure, now you're just making them up. 
Alexander Dinalaris Jr. and Armando Bo. I don't know who they are. That last one sounds like a fashion designer. Yeah. Debuted November 14th, 2014 with a budget of $16.5 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah, not really, though. For the cast? For the, For the cast. cast? And like, yeah. This is probably the lowest budget movie we've had in the last like 20 episodes. Sure, sure. Um, box office, it made $42 million domestic, $103 million worldwide. Do you happen to know how much of that would have happened in its initial run versus like a Best Picture uh, re-release? Oh, that's a good question. Good question. Uh, it was released in November. Oscars would have been in like February, March. Okay, so maybe it just stayed around long enough. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I'm guessing it gave it a little bit of a boost. Yeah. Sure. It was good for 78th place in 2014 in the box office. Tell me that sandwich, Dan. Just behind Need for Speed and <laughs> John Wick. <laughs> John Wick was that low, yeah. huh? That's... I think John Wick got more popular after Netflix. I it really did. do think yep. that was the big... What's and Need for Speed? Start Aaron Paul. It's based off a racing video game. That's silly. It was supposed to be a big deal, and it completely came and went. Yeah, it's amazing that that didn't get its own franchise like Fast and the Furious. Yeah, I mean, that's what they were trying to do. And then they failed. And then the movie was also just ahead of Dolphin Tale 2 and The Expendables 3. All right, so I asked each of you to rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10... You have sent me your ratings secretly. I have tabulated the results. This is movie number 75 on the podcast. Where do we think Birdman falls out of 75 movies? I'm going to say 13. I'm going to say 14. Oh, I was going to say like 30. No, mm. you're not thinking about the other side of the table, hon. <laughs> yeah, gotta, but I don't know. Unless, unless you went low, it ain't going to, we're going to be up in the top 10 potentially here. Tom is right on. It's 13th. Oh. Unlucky. With a score of 7.3 out of 10. Tied for 13th with X2 and Captain America, the first Avenger. How low did you go, hon? Cat gave it a five. A really reluctant five. Okay. Okay. In my my enjoyment level of this movie is like a a two. I did watch Cat's soul leave her body while we watched this. So in this corner, we have Cat with a five. In the other corner over here, we have Tom with a 10. Unapologetic. I stand by it. It's great. I'm happy for you. Right in the middle, Matt and I have it a six and eight. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. yep. It all averages out to about 7.3. That makes that, That's that, a pretty big spread, though. That, that is how numbers work. Potentially God. the widest spread we've ever had, other than, I'm just trying to look. Like the Wolverine, we had like a seven to four. Hellboy yep. 2, a seven to four. But nothing higher than that. Hmm. So, yeah, we're, we're mixed here. Um, this did win Best Picture. Kind of surprisingly, actually. Watching it now, I'm like, this is an odd movie to win. I can't believe that it won. Uh, actors love actors. That's true. And I'll go over the Oscar stuff in a bit during trivia, which is interesting. Um, but we all watched this in 2014. Has anyone watched it in between then and now? No. Yeah, I've seen it a few times. Okay. It's probably been at least five years since my last viewing. Okay. So what did we notice on this rewatch? What do we think of the movie? How does it relate to superhero movies in general? <laughs> Try to bring it all around. <laughs> I I would like to hear Kat's thoughts on this. This is not my cup of tea. <laughs> I that's like the nicest thing I could say about about this. I hate to throw out the word pretentious, but it's pretty pretentious. Um Do you remember the first time you saw it? I do. I remember like typically as we've probably mentioned before on the podcast, try to watch every movie that's nominated for best picture leading up to the Oscars. So I remember going to see this when it came out and I 
was like mildly curious. I feel like, you know, I like Michael Keaton. I like Emma Stone. I like Zach Galifianakis. I'm not a big Ed Norton fan. Um, but like, I was curious enough going into this, like, think I was just caught off guard when I first saw it. Like, I was just like, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on right now? Um, and rewatching it now, I, I just, um, for all the dialogue that happens, I just feel like it's not, I, I normally am, uh, I'm big into like a dialogue heavy movie, but this is like, it goes nowhere for me. And I just don't find it interesting at all. Um, I was bored to tears and like just kind of annoyed the entire time I was watching it. So which do you prefer the theater kind of plot meandering about the play or, or the, the Birdman kind of psychosis the, uh, scenes with Michael Keaton? Cause I think there are, they're kind of two different parts of the movie. Yeah. I like the theater plot better. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'm actually surprised to hear that too. Yeah. I do like Michael Keaton though. And I feel like this was kind of like a, a like almost a comeback for him. I'm trying to think of the last thing he was in before this uh, yeah i was gonna say in a meta way this movie actually really worked out for keaton like you know he's playing this guy who's not himself he's, it's not michael keaton but you can see the similarities a little bit he obviously played a superhero in the past can you can you see the similarities I, I mean, yeah, Dan? yeah but i mean before this it, it's yeah it's important to note yeah before this michael keaton did a lot of animation voiceover work he was in a lot of pixar stuff he did an animated version of noah's ark with rob schneider Right oh, before wow. this, why he would you was, call him out for that? That's was, gross. Don't do him dirty he, like that. He, he, he played, was in need uh, of a comeback. He was a side character in the RoboCop reboot, and then after this, this comes out. He gets nominated. He does Spotlight, The Founder, Spider-Man: Homecoming, uh, Dope Sick, Trial of the Chicago Seven. Like he's a full-on Morbius. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yep. So he's full-on like brought back into the fold with this movie. If I had to have like one takeaway from this, it would be um, if I'm going to watch a Michael Keaton movie, let it be um, the 1989 Batman or the 1998 Christmas classic Jack Frost. Don't don't tell people <laughs> to watch that. I'm really I'm not sorry. Not telling people to watch I mean, it. I'm really sorry, I'm everyone. I love Beetlejuice it. is not bad too. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice is, is fun. amazing. Yeah, okay, I, let's all be careful how many times yeah. we say that, please. <laughs> Whoa. We've already passed that Damn limit, it. but I think an individual has to say it three times not oh is that how that works not three different individuals at once that's good to know on the flip side this uh hundy hundo p is my cup of tea <laughs> um this is this is a custom made custom made uh suit just that hugs me gently while also making me look buff and i'm not i'm not buff people <laughs> um you, no. went from, you went from a tea metaphor to a bodybuilding suit <laughs> metaphor, and I'm, I'm a little lost, but keep going. No, not a bodybuilding suit. A suit that just fits nicely okay. so that I look good. Dan. I thought you were going with like an Earl Grey with a nice slice of lemon and some honey. Oh Yeah, that too. Okay. In, my, in my nice, fitted, custom All suit. Right. I'm getting hungry. For one thing, just the cast is so spot on. I mean, to have Michael Keaton come back and do this, it's clearly like... Uh, fictionalized extreme version of his life right i mean having like we said this kind of washed up career and having to come to terms with like you know like relevance and particularly the way that art is handled in the modern era right the whole thing also just plays out as this like surrealist uh you know like mental breakdown fever dream people have compared it to fellini's eight and a half which is really apt to me I think it's funny that the word pretentious gets thrown around with this movie so often, like just reading through the reviews and stuff like that. 
Usually pretentious movies aren't this fun. Yeah, like like is this fun? I, I think, yes, I think this movie's enough, hilarious. There's enough humor here and tongue and cheek stuff that going on that makes me shy away from the pretentious label. But I get where you're coming from still. Yeah, I just I, I feel like anytime something is slightly different, people like to throw the pretentious word, you know, around. But that doesn't mean some of it isn't. I just I think that this it's so clever on a meta level, on a technical level. Um, and it's just full of these amazing, like, scene-chewing performances that are clearly, like, you know, they're clearly, like you said, Dan, tongue-in-cheek, mocking a specific type of, like, theater acting and stuff like that, while also having multiple layers of that, because you have them going from playing the characters to the characters playing the characters, and then you also have them kind of doing these bits between them, like the moment where Naomi Watts and Andrew Risborough are, are having the moment in the dressing room, and, like, it's it honestly it felt like watching a scene out of Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. uh, which is is was just a great moment of of like again that kind of meta humor. Beyond that, I think the drum score is absolutely brilliant. It works really well with the single take conceit and and, and having this kind of again paralleling his his mental breakdown where we're seeing you know like we see him flying in because he's having these delusions right. And then the cab runner, cab driver runs after him to get paid. You know, like it's all it's all of these like little things where again it just comes out as this surrealist piece, and uh, it's just truly delightful to me. I want to backtrack one second. Apologize, to Michael Keaton. I forgot right before this movie, at least four years before this movie, he does play Captain Gene and the other guys in one of his <laughs> monumental performances. That I don't want to cut him short for that. That is very true. <laughs> I mean, as the man says. <laughs> Don't go chasing waterfalls, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I still like this movie a lot. I love this movie when it came out. I like it less now because I start to see the seams of it a little bit more. Not that I think it's worse because of that, but watching it today, I was like, there's definitely a lot of this being glossed over by the camera work and the acting. Like if this movie was more surface level with average acting without Emmanuel Lubeski's cinematography, I think this would be kind of whatever for me. I, I'd kind of forget about it pretty quickly. Yeah, um, but that's like saying, oh, if the people who made this hadn't made this, right? Right. I get, I get that. I'm just saying, like, some of the stuff behind the Flash do- doesn't really resonate with me as much. Like, some of the character development, I wasn't as into this time for whatever reason. <laughs> um, I still love the overall, like, rhythm of the movie. Not No pun intended with, yeah. with the percussion score, but just, like, the way it moves... And obviously, I forgot about some of the actors in this. Like, I knew it was Michael Keaton and Edward Norton, but like Naomi Watts, Amy Ryan, Zach Galifianakis, I completely forgot they were in this movie. And that's always just like a fun treat when they show up. When's the last time you saw the movie again, Dan? When it was in theaters. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Going into this movie, I'm like, we're going to watch this for the podcast. It's not a superhero movie. I know there's, I remember obviously the Birdman parts where he's like fantasizing as Birdman, but I forgot about some of the commentary in the movie about superhero movies in general, which I thought was mm-hmm. kind of interesting given our, our podcast. So like they talk about all these great actors, how they're not acting anymore. They're all in superhero movies. Like they reference like Michael Fassbender and who else? Like Robert, Downey, Robert Downey, Jr. Downey Jr. They also do the bit about Jeremy Renner, how like even he's an Avenger. No one knows who the hell he is, yeah. right? Like this Academy Award winner then went to the superhero movies. but Yeah. And then there's like the the Clooney airplane story yep. and things like that. Like there's a, a ton of commentary about just Hollywood in general, but particularly superhero movies about this time period, which we've been watching up until this point of like, if you're a big name actor, you're not necessarily doing Shakespeare. You're spending half your year 
on a green screen doing an Avenger movie, and then you'll do your, your side project on the side. It also brings up the like point of cultural relevance, like how easily we uh, we discard, other than uh, Tobey Maguire, apparently, how easily we discard these old, you know, people who portray these these heroes that we were obsessing over, and it's just it's. I mean, I think about like the um, podcast that Brandon Ralph has, has done about like how he thought he was hot shit with Superman and then it tanked and it just kind of, it kind of like broke him, you know? Yeah. Like it is, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to have actors handle these subjects on screen. Mm -hmm. I will say too, it's a little different watching this now with the meta context of, we know that Michael Keaton went on to play Batman again. Yeah. And, and not to mention Vulture. And a bird man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's like, it's a little bit different. He like, did indeed do Birdman 4. He did. <laughs> and put on the mask for Batman again, which is, you know, good for him. Wild. Yeah. Bad for the Flash, great <laughs> for everyone else. Matt, you've been quiet so far. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I have mixed feelings about this film. I think I'm being kind by giving it a six. I think part of me wants to go to a five, but for some reason I'm holding it six because I can respect... Some of the ways that it was made, I can respect that, like, it's kind of a dark horse that won the Academy Award, which is surprising. I'm very upset that it beat Grand Budapest Hotel, because I think that definitely should have won that year. This was, like, the first year, it's it's really the next year of Academy Awards, where I'll see every film that's nominated for Best Picture. Like, we were kind of watching them and, like, having conversations, but, like, the year after this is the year where I'm like, well, maybe I missed something, because I don't know if I saw Birdman until after i don't even Mm, really you had that hype behind it before you saw it maybe and i think maybe when i saw it then i was let down i'm like that was it because it is very different not to say that both uh grand budapest and birdman both aren't artsy they're just artsy in different ways and i think something that where you get a little bit of um compound pretentiousness if you will is that nothing's more pretentious typically than the theater if it wants to be that was the fun thing they decided to be after movies came around was is like oh well you don't get it this is the theater mm-hmm. um and so you get that you also get the fun of making fun of superhero movies a little bit because like oh like that's not really acting meanwhile we're making a movie about just that and we're giving all the characters biting dialogue to be as if they're doing a big monologue the entire time so that they can keep talking and they're very important actors because they are big name actors actors that wouldn't do a superhero movie or they did do a superhero movie but it's been a long time since they've done a superhero movie what's the point of doing a superhero movie is society ready for any other type of movie it just goes on and on and on and it doesn't stop filming and you're like do we even like these people fuck these people these people aren't important it just goes on and on and on and on and while it's going on and on and on you've got a little drum that's going on in the background is it a full score no it's just a little bit of jazz it's almost like it's slam poetry to a certain point and i'm not here for it because it goes on and on and on and on and on also it brings up the fact that you know i mean who, who what is anything what is anything at all should we just jump out the window did we not jump out the window are we alive are we dead what's the point of anything i'm Dang. dead so <laughs> and that's just a snippet of the film okay credit to you for committing to that yes but i also feel like none of that actually addressed and anything that the movie's talking about all, all you're saying is you don't like that it's the score is different from what you'd expect right you don't like that it's this kind of snappy dialogue right i mean i don't think that invalidates the movie because you didn't you didn't like the style of it, right? There are plenty of styles of movies that like 
certain people like, certain people don't. I yeah, kind of kind of went on the tangent for the sake of the monologue. But sure, it's it's more so this movie wants it wants its cake and to eat it too. It's like we're going to make fun of something, but also be that thing. I, I get Do you what I mean? Because like the part I, I liked when I originally saw it, and I didn't like as much the second time, is the critic scene. Yeah, where, where he really you know talks to the critic and is like he's reading her work. It's like you're just you're just shouting out words. You're not actually doing anything, and it's like. That's the point of the movie. I'm like, okay, that's a little like you're obviously trying to make a point, like, oh, you know, art needs to be appreciated, and it's not just about like labeling things. And it's like, it's a little on the nose, I would say. It's it's a bit on the nose, and like, I don't know. It, there's a lot going on, and I can respect some of the ways it was made, especially like the long take that hadn't been really done in a long time up until that point. It is sort of a gimmicky thing. It does work in the context of the film, though. I will grant you that, which is why I'm probably giving it a six over a five. But just the way they do it seems like wrong. I don't know. And it, 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 I think I would be happy as well if the movie did end with him shooting himself on stage. Mm. Spoiler alert. I think if it stopped there, I might be okay, but it's more of that, like, the cake, what I'm talking about. We'll just, oh, we'll just add an extra little scene, and then people can talk about what the meaning of it is. And it's like, don't, don't be that way. Like, if you don't, if you want to have a message, have a message. If you don't want to have a message and be like, what is art? Why are you, you there's, they're trying to have certain conversations, but then open it to interpretation in other ways. And Niara, in, in too, said that he said he wanted there to be as many interpretations of the movie as there were theater seats in the theater. That, like that was very intentional. I'm against that. Okay. That's that's always will hurt me because it's like, I like there to be a point. Even if that point is, we can agree, there is no point, but don't do it like that. Mm. I think there's still a point. Who, who's to say, man? <laughs> I, I think going back to your point too, Matt, is like you and Kat probably, I don't know if, I don't want to speak for Kat, but maybe you saw this after it won Best Picture or at least when it had the hype of Best Picture. Yeah, it was in that 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 ballpark. Versus, I think, Tom, you and I saw this together, I remember. With Eileen, we, we my did. older sister. Yeah, and I, I didn't, I don't think I knew about the one take thing. Mm. going into it no you actually called it out about 10 minutes into the movie really? i didn't yeah. i didn't even recognize it fully until you called it out to me and so like we saw right when it came out it didn't have that hype and just being so in awe like, oh my god they're doing this like this is so cool so i think that context of when you saw it with the expectations matters a little bit too. i That'll think help. there was like a pocket of time for me between like maybe Honestly, like probably prior to like 2015 or so that like movies that were a bit, not even like artsy is not the right word, but like this is just too much for me. Too stylized. And my, like it's too, like it was just like, like, I was not like, I don't think I'd seen enough movies to be like, this is movieing too hard for me and I'm not ready for this right now. <laughs> so it was interesting rewatching this now because I thought maybe like my opinions would change um, just because like I've seen so much more than I have in the last like 10 years and when I saw this when it first came out. Um, but it just, I don't know. It just didn't, I like, I don't feel too much differently, I guess. I just think I like maybe went into it more hopeful this time, but I, it still just doesn't hit for me. Well, let's move on to categories. We'll get into it more. Um, before we get there though, Tom, do you have any Amazon reviews for this movie? I have a few. And I think, um, I think based on the conversation we've just had, uh, these are just, a, they're a good, they're a good mix here. So I'm going to start here with, uh, with a classic three-star, three-star review here, titled Strange Couldn't Get Into It. It was okay. I noticed it was rated high, so I have to, I have it a try. I think that's, I gave it a try. <laughs> and I couldn't get through the movie, so IDK, just go watch it and tell me what happens and came by now. 
Wow. <laughs> Three stars. Why would you take the time to do that? That sounds like somebody like my mom wrote that. <laughs> There's a one-star review titled, Oscars, This Has to Be a Joke. When we were looking for a movie to watch for date night, it should be a sure bet with all the Academy nominations and a cast like Michael Keaton, Edward Norton, and Emma Stone. Boy, were we wrong. If it was possible to give zero stars, we would. We cannot believe all the Oscars this film won. Either they saw something we didn't, or the Academy is all on crack. They definitely complained. They say the random drum track between scenes was like from a 10-year-old that just got his first drum set. Uh, after an hour or so, we couldn't bear the pain any longer and opted for a rerun of SNL. <laughs> I wonder which one. <laughs> um, okay, and then finally, a five-star review. And again, people write really long reviews, especially if they think this movie's five out of five stars. Uh, so I'm not going to... Did you write this review? No, no, I'm not okay. going to read the review. I'm just going to read the title. And I think that this is basically as if I had written it, but also... Uh, something that I completely understand. Birdman is not for everyone, but it is for me. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to trivia. Things we found out about this movie on the internet. So, Inyari 2 had the idea of a single shot film for a long time, but a bunch of his friends and colleagues like tried to talk him out of it for years. Basically saying like it was impossible. Don't do it. You'll lose money. Like It's going to be a nightmare. So, he listened to them for a long time and then eventually was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I like that. Yeah. Good for him. Uh, his original ending. Did you guys read about this? Nope. There was an original ending in the script. Um, it was going to end after all of what was shown on screen with Johnny Depp sitting in the same dressing room with a Jack Sparrow poster on the wall. And there was going to be a voiceover as Jack Sparrow saying, what are we doing here, mate? Yeah, I actually do remember uh, reading that at one point. And I mean, talk about... Uh on the nose, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently with that ending, Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuaron talked him out of it. <laughs> that's good to have your bros help you yeah, out, you funny. know? Um, Inyaritu and Lubeski, the cinematographer, built an entire model of the theater in a studio before the shoot. They actually did film in the in that theater, the mm. St. James Theater, yeah, yeah. but they weren't allowed to get into it until like the time they were filming, so they built like an exact model just to test out the camera movement and all of the transitions nice. and all that. Cinema. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, they interesting. They brought in the editing team from the beginning. Usually, you hand it off to the editing team at the end to kind of craft your movie. They brought them in to film the table read and then edit the table read because they wanted to know how to edit uh, the dialogue. If there was like unnecessary dialogue, anything they would want to cut out for in the a breathing, final version, essentially, yeah, like they, they they wouldn't be able to do that with the long take. So they basically edited it on the front end and then filmed it. Wow. And I think it said that like the actual editing process ended up only being like two weeks because mm -hmm. all the it was done. groundwork was done. It was, was just kind of matching the cuts together. Speaking of the cuts, do, do you know how many there are? Four? I, th I think I've, I've, well, now I'm doubting myself. I want to say it was like 16. Yeah, there are 16 yeah. cuts. Mm, I, thought it would be I was trying to watch for them yeah. as, as I watched it. A couple of them were obvious. Obviously yeah. the ones where they could kind of go outside and it's got like a time lapse of the night to the or day. Or if they cut like, to the meteor for whatever reason. Yeah. Or the uh, when it, it's like entering the dark stairwell or something, it's an easy place to hide yeah. those cuts. But They usually did around 15 to 20 takes per scene. So kind of picturing scenes are probably 10, 15 minutes long at least. Hmm. Yeah. that I mean, that would be a lot. <laughs> yep. Uh, they filmed at the St. James Theater. Uh, notable shows that started at, th at that theater, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. Hello, Dolly, 1776, 
the producers, and David Byrne's American Utopia. It's one of wow. one of my favorite uh, theaters there on Broadway. Nice. Have you been there? I have. Nice. It's the down the main street that I go half the time. Very cool. Um, okay, let's get into the Oscars of this. This won four Oscars. It lost five. The ones it lost, um, Michael Keaton lost for Best Actor. Here's who he lost to. I think this is kind of a, a bad, bad vibe here. <laughs> um, he lost to Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's like a very forgettable movie. Yep. Like it was, he did a good job, but I feel like that's an equal upset as like that one winning Best Picture is to to that. Yeah, I so would disagree on I, that. I, I know but. you would, but I think so, everyone would have. Other actors nominated Steve Carell for Foxcatcher, Bradley Cooper, American Sniper, and Benedict Cumberbatch, Imitation Game. So like of those five, I think Keaton is yeah. above all of those yeah. pretty easily. At least like the most interesting for yeah. sure. <laughs> Best Supporting Actor, Edward Norton, lost to J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. Well, that That's makes a sense. Pretty yeah. easy one. Best Supporting Actress, Emma Stone, lost to Patricia Arquette for Boyhood. It also lost Sound Editing and Sound Mixing. So I think of all those that it that it lost, the only one I'd overturn would be the the Best Actor for Keaton. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that ones that it won, it won Best Cinematography. That's a pretty obvious one, I think. Mm-hmm. Though Grand Budapest does have a horse in that race. As, I mean, it's as, a contender. It's a as different a, kind of cinematography. Yeah. As a colorblind person, the colors in Grand Budapest, I'm like, holy crap, most yeah. of the time. Yeah, though it would it would have been crazy to choose that over this. For it kind of depends on what you think. talk about for cinematography, though. Is it like What do we talk about move? when we talk about cinematography? Yeah, is it okay. camera movement? Is it lighting? Or is it color? Yeah, is it color? it's a lot. Yeah. But I also think, I think that the innovation here totally. is, deserves being rewarded. It also won Best Original Screenplay. It beat out Boyhood, Foxcatcher, Grand Budapest, and Nightcrawler. Um, Best Director, it won for Inyari 2. Uh, also nominated Richard Linklater for Boyhood, Bennett Miller for Foxcatcher, Wes Anderson, Grand Budapest, and Morton Tildum for The Imitation Game. Okay, and then finally, Best Picture, it won. Here's who it beat. American Sniper, which eh. people love that movie. They did like it at the time. Uh, Boyhood. That was kind of the other front runner at the time. Yeah. That I mean, that's People another thing like where there's something very unique about that. Yeah, Grand Budapest, great one. That was my favorite. Yep, Imitation Game. That was the classic <laughs> Oscar bait. Well, true historical. Just wait. Story. There's another one. The Theory of Everything. Yeah. There were two that year. Yes. And yeah. Wait. There's a third. both British professors. There's another one. There's a third one but that, that's actually pretty good. Selma. Again, that got lost in the shuffle. It did. Uh, and then Whiplash, mm-hmm. so, which was also great. I think of those. Of those nominated, I think Boyhood is my favorite, although Grand Budapest, and actually Selma is, I watched that recently again. It holds up. It's good. Does it? Yeah. I remember liking it in theaters. Yeah. It's a solid year. Yeah. I like Whiplash the best. Yeah. There was a lot going on. It was hard to tell what would win, because you would believe a lot of those. I, I would also be curious to see, like, and, you know, there's a whole lot of possibilities here, but, like, just to see if even one of those other ones were taken out if that had split enough votes. Because, like, I can't imagine Birdman won by that big of a margin. I know. This is our message to the Academy. Release the vote totals. Yeah, come I on. I know. Yeah. That would be cool. Like, Ten years down the road, they should release them. Also, you know? release the cat's butthole cut, please. Yes. <laughs> While we're at it. All right. Moving on to casting decisions. Potential actors, actresses for these roles. Um, there were a lot, but uh, for the character of Mike, who went to Ed Norton... Josh Brolin was set to play it, but he turned it down for scheduling conflicts. He would have been pretty good, though I couldn't see him being like as like 
ratty type of suave as opposed to like more of the gruff suave. Yeah, he feels more like a, a grizzled veteran of the yeah, theater versus like right. a... I mean, he'd work in a pinch or a snap. It's funny because I feel like there's a lot of people who who could play that role, but it just feels like a very different movie depending mm. on who we put in it. Again, it it feels like the character is definitely, you know, a extreme version of Ed, Ed Norton himself, so it, it mm-hmm. seems to fit. Yeah. I don't know if they adjusted that once they had Ed Norton yeah. in there. But. Or he just uh, was too natural. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he just showed up on set one day. He was on Broadway. He actually just convinced them to put him in the movie by giving him the speech he basically gives uh, Birdman. Yeah. Uh, for the role of Sam, which went to Emma Stone, uh, Margot Robbie turned it down. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Lily James, Amelia Clark, and Blake Lively auditioned for it. I believe all of those things you said. I think Emma Stone works... The best. I think she definitely works better than Margot Robbie as far as like this type of character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, Matt, we can't leave casting though without our favorite question. And that is where does Christopher Walken fit in Birdman? (laughs) You know, for this part specifically, I think. I really just want him to bounce off off him the whole time. So it would be the Ed Norton role. Not not one of the big <laughs> ones, but just like to like I'm the real actor. Like he just he'll do any part and he's the best. I mean, he's won an Academy Award. He not many people are aware that like he did start on Broadway and there is a famous photo somewhere of him doing Shakespeare in the Park Macbeth with Christopher Lloyd, which god, I wish video existed of that. Could you imagine real theater with just, them? Just the sound. The, the sound alone. The sounds of them. Uh so yes, Christopher Walken would play his um, his rival in the play, basically. All right, let's get into best scene. Your favorite scene in the movie. Hard to categorize scenes because they all kind of run together. Yeah. Are you going to say the boner scene, Dan? No. Okay. Well, maybe I will. I don't know. Um, <laughs> couple nominees. The opening play practice when the light falls on that guy. Yes. Uh, we've got the press interview, the Birdman 4 mm. excitement. I do love that quote. Yep. We've got the first rehearsal with, with Norton mm-hmm. when he's really playing off of him. And he, I, I love the little, like, well, at, when he finishes the scene, he's like, uh, uh. Yeah. Um, we've got the the Emma Stone Oscar reel scene. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a speech. Yeah. We've got uh, the press article fight when he has the article and they have the the fight in the dressing room mm-hmm. with, with Ed Norton there. That to me is just like the perfect thing to show people when they ask if it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. We've got the the locked out of the theater when he runs into Times Square. We've got the conversation with the critic. We've got Birdman comes alive, finally. Mm-hmm. The full-on Menti B. Yep. And then we've got the final performance, I would say, the the final play when he when he does shoot his when he shoots his nose off. Mm-hmm. Any I miss? Anything you want to call out there? I'm gonna throw out to my favorite scene, which is after he's had his mental breakdown and before he reaches for the gun and he's having this conversation with his ex-wife where he has this weird sense of clarity. Yep. It's an incredible, incredible delivery uh, by Keaton. I love Amy Ryan there too. Yeah, she she's really good in this movie. Um, gets kind of overlooked given her role, but you know what? I'm just gonna do it because I I agree, Tom. That's my part as well. The speech with the wife up until him shooting himself again. That's again. I kind of wish it ended there because it's such a powerful beat. I really hate to do this, but I think that that is my favorite bit as well. I oh. feel like the whole movie, like it didn't really, I don't know, it didn't land with me as much. But like the most tense I felt throughout the whole movie was in that scene. It builds to that point. It would make sense that that would yeah. be the the big point i'm going with the 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 first 
practice with Ed Norton, him sure. and Keaton. Yeah. Part, I mean, I, I acted in theater in, in high school and stuff, and part of that, it kind of brings you back. Like, all of a sudden, like, you're like, you're saying the lines, and all of a sudden, like, it kind of clicks. Yeah, and someone, actually, someone pushes you just to the right point yeah, where you need it. Not saying I was as good as those no. two, but like... But when you know your dialogue and somebody else actually knows their dialogue, yeah, and you can... It's fun. It's, it's fun a, to it's go cool back moment. and forth, yes. Yeah. I'll give a special shout out to pretty much any scene that Zach Galifianakis was in, as <laughs> I felt like this was one of the best roles he's ever played. I, I really love him in this too, and I actually was also going to give a shout out to him before we leave best scene, mostly because I really love his Martin Scorsese. Yeah. That has always <laughs> made me laugh. Yeah. He should do more roles like this. Yeah. Well, it, this was a few years after It's Kind of a Funny Story I think, which like was also him doing a slightly more dramatic role with like comedy tinge, but I think he's really quite good at it. Yeah. So. All right, we're getting into now our superhero categories, which I don't know how they're going to play. Wait, what is this podcast? I mean, and we'll see. <laughs> Superheroes, what? Um, villain corner. Rate the diabolical plan of the villain. Is this really like the villains are the friends we met along the way? The uh, villains, the man I, I we know. You could you could categorize the theater critic as the villain. In you, some ways, like everything could. they're trying to do is trying to get the the right review from her, and then she basically says, "Like it doesn't matter what you do, I'm gonna win." It's basically the ending scene from Ratatouille. Aha! Yeah, I think you could also make an argument that Ed Norton is a bad guy too. Oh, I'm gonna be worst. an asshole about it. Sure. The real bad guy is Birdman. His mental illness. Oh, that's a hundred percent the real bad guy in this. Yeah. That's like the only answer. That's what I really meant when I said, like the bad guys the friends we met along the way it's like yeah. your mental friends yeah <laughs> but also like you know the the whole human obsession with being admired uh, there's a great line in there about like him mixing up being loved and being admired that's a mm-hmm. um, delivered by amy ryan and all right well that's our villain let's move <laughs> on to uh <laughs> thanks dan <laughs> let's move on to capes and tights rate the superhero costumes of the movie the birdman outfit ain't bad yeah if that was a real movie that would look pretty good it reminds me of the Blue Falcon from Dexter's Lab. Yes, I can see that now. <laughs> I'm the Blue Falcon. Oh, why are you so sad, pal? So silly. I never saw, I mean, not like you would in just like a regular setting in 2014, like the year that we like were just out of college. Uh, but I feel like there's a good costume, like Halloween costume and Birdman out there and I you never mean, saw that. You mean a lo- just in tidy whiteies? Yeah. Yeah. All that outfit. There's a lot of options there. You guys want to do a, a Birdman-themed Halloween party this year? No. Okay. Dude, you know I would. <laughs> the thing, though, the problem would be, Thomas, you can't stop moving. Everyone has to be constantly <laughs> moving at the party. No one's allowed to sit. I'll be the camera guy. I'll just have my camera going it around. It has to be completely kinetic the entire time. All right, moving on to which side character deserved their own spinoff from this movie? The Asian reporter, maybe? <laughs> say more. Uh, <laughs> or maybe say less. I don't know. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, I don't know. He's just a throwaway character um, and doesn't seem like he's in a bad place, unlike other people in this film. He feels like he seems like he's having a good time. I don't know if he's got deadlines that he's got to make, but boy, was he excited about hearing about Birdman 4. I want a spinoff where Naomi Watts um, uses her traumatic experience from her first Broadway opening night Ah. to uh, get a movie deal, and then she moves out to... uh, la and it turns into this kind of weird bizarre surrealist thing Mm. maybe call it like mulholland avenue 
Or Moncala Drive? Yes, that's the one. I want a spinoff of one of the people who came within like close contact of Michael Keaton as he was walking through Times Square in his tidy whities <laughs> Like I want like the, what was their day leading up to that point? And how was that like the like pinnacle switch of the movie that just like all of a sudden it really changes gears? To, to build on that, I want it to be the dude dressed up as Spider-Man yes. in... in- Times Square, but also I want him to be lucid during the dream sequence he's in, where he's just like, he's like, what am I doing here? Just and do you think that the person who is dressed as Spider Man, like, was living in the world that we're living in, and actually thought that that was Michael Keaton, and is like, is this Michael Keaton of the nineteen eighty nine Batman? Like, all of a sudden, it just becomes like. I think I think it was Andrew Garfield after his Spider Man movies tanked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun fact. Amazing Spider-Man 2 is filming in New York at the same time. Ah. That's why Emma Stone was hopping back and forth between the two. What a time for her. Yeah. Uh, for my spinoff, I don't know if this counts or not, but I'd love to actually see a Michael Keaton Birdman movie, like him as Birdman. I'll accept that. That's actually a really good answer. It was a separate personality. You win. Like I, I, there's some interesting stuff there. Like There's obviously, like he's a superhero, but he's kind of a dark superhero from well, what we've, we've gathered. And also, it's not like, I mean, the stuff he was fighting was the freaking, like, comet shooting down in this weird robot giant bird thing it looked kind of awesome i was confused is the giant mechanical bird that was terrorizing the city is that an ally or a foe because he's Birdman. yeah that's a good question (laughs) i'm pretty sure it was a foe okay i think i think it was like you know a batman man bat situation oh yeah 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 that was man bird i don't (laughs) know and that was bird bot bird bot moving on to the producer's chair if you can go back and change one thing about this movie, what would it be? I would replace the solo drum score with a solo kazoo <laughs> score <laughs> so that that way they'd really just have to send it the whole the whole way. And I think that that would be truly hilarious. I think, and I don't know exactly how, I think I would just want it to go a like just a hair more into the like a being a dark comedy because i just didn't think it was very funny and i don't know what like specifically could have changed for me to make it feel because it's not that i needed it to be like more like flashy comedy like i could have gone like even more like brutal almost i just feel like the tone didn't go as hard for me but that's maybe just a me problem there's a scene in this that I, I don't know how I feel about it. There's a scene with Naomi Watts and Andrea Riseborough, and they're talking and they're having a nice little moment. And then Andrea Riseborough kisses Naomi uh, Watts. And I'm like, you want more of that? No. I, <laughs> for, I'm ah, with you, Dan. Ah, High five across the table. No, quick. no. <laughs> for whatever reason, I'm not opposed to that, but oh. it doesn't seem like it was developed enough before or after. It just seems a little bit like, we're going to try this. Dan, I thought you said you were in theater. <laughs> no, I, I don't know how to describe it. For whatever reason, that didn't work for me this time. And I don't know if there needs to be more development with, especially the Andrea Riseborough character. I feel like she's not in it hardly at all. Um, where it just felt out of nowhere. And I'm like, I think you could cut that. For my producer's chair, I probably would have taken out any sort of the romantic or sexual relationship between Ed Norton and Emma Stone. I get that it's like partially a weird uh, point of tension between him and, and Edward Norton, but they didn't really need it. And it also is like, it's not shocking or anything. Like, I don't know that that adds a ton to the movie for me. Right. I mean, earlier in here, I mentioned that I, I think I'd like the movie to stop where he shoots himself on stage. Um, and so I guess that's my real one. 
Uh, and if I can't use that, then the kazoo one. It's between those two. All right. Moving on to... <laughs> completely forgot about this. Moving on to Dan Sports Corner. <laughs> wow, on, Dan. Dan. It's, it's literally your corner. <laughs> did you did you sports yourself into a corner I on did, this yeah. one? Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I can't wait for you to come up with something while I do this quick ad raid from our sponsor. Dan Sports Corner, brought to you by Stella Atois. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Or as they say in the theater, Stella! <laughs> Thank you. Good bit. Um, good bit. Yes, yeah, so the only beer for brooding thespians. Nice. Well, we are recording this on uh, September 5th, and I am in the middle of a fantasy draft right now, so that's where my mind is in terms of sports. That's fair. Uh, TJ Hawkinson just went 46th to my friend Bach. Um, we'll see what goes on here with the next, uh, next pick. <laughs> Dan. <sighs> Come on, man. We're disappointed in you. I need I need something more than that. I like did it. Michael I'm Keaton, here for did it. Michael Keaton ever play a coach in anything, Dan, for the love of God? Mm. He seemed like the actor that could play baseball coach. Sure. Football coach, also acceptable. All right. Sorry about that, but that was my sports corner. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> all right. If y'all are disappointed, imagine how we feel. <laughs> Because we had to look at him. I liked <laughs> it. And we had to wait while he did his draft picks. Hey, I got uh, I got Tyler Lockett and DJ Moore in the sixth and seventh round here. We're feeling good. How do you like it? How do you like it? Yeah. That was, I guess, Dan's Sports Corner, brought to you by the St. James Theater, my favorite theater in Broadway, conveniently located between the Birdland Jazz Club and Sardi's, an institution for all Broadway dining. All right. Moving on to questions. What questions does this movie raise? What questions do you have? Will there be a Birdman 4? That was kind of my question is in this universe. So he did Birdman 1, 2, and 3 in like yes. the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Was the character rebooted? Like, is there a Val Kilmer Birdman? Not, well, okay, I see what Ooh, you're saying. Does Birdman live is what you're saying. Yeah. I think does that, Birdman live? I think that Birdman wasn't rebooted until after this. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, I think I think there had been right talks or some respectful time. I I think that they were still holding out hope for a long time. Mm. I think it was kind of like a do we get Hellboy three or do we get twenty nineteen's Hellboy? Mm. Oh. But I think the original Birdman is more popular than the original Hellboy. I That's do, true. I do like in this universe though that it is Val Kilmer as Birdman. I appreciate that. Well done. Well, I wasn't sure what the George Clooney bit in this. Are they alluding to maybe George Clooney did Birdman 4 with, oh. the, with the bird nipples and oh. then went on to become more famous than the original Birdman? Yes, yes, yes. Birds don't have nipples. They, call them, they call them bird pecks. Anyway. I think they're just called breasts. They, that is also the thing that they do. Do birds not have nipples? No. No, nipples <laughs> are a mammalian thing. Right. Yes. So bats do, but lo- birds don't. <laughs> I know that you knew that, but like I love that you asked. So maybe maybe the Birdman suit has a cloaca. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it sounds like filthy. Oh, yeah. I see. Yes. I know I joked about a kazoo. If you could replace the score with one instrument, which one would y'all pick? Saxophone. Oh, some sixty sax. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna take away our jazzy vibe then and give us uh, a very unsettling theremin mm. <laughs> i was thinking like a hammer dulcimer that's <laughs> yeah. that would be pretty cool yeah <laughs> for some reason like i heard you talking to him i was like oh he's trying to come up with the least sexy instrument he can like that's not jazz related and for some reason there's like he's gonna say banjo and you weren't even anywhere close one of my questions is um 
clearly the movie kind of uh, skips time while we're going through these weird delusions and stuff. How many people do you think recognized him as he was sleeping on a on a stoop with a trash bag as his pillow? I don't know. It's hard to tell like how far off he's been from like the public eye because he he looks in like rough shape throughout the the whole thing. Basically. But people recognize him instantly yeah, when I he's guess. in his undies. I mean, they are by the theater, but even so, or like uh, he gets he gets asked for the. Uh, the photo early on also there could have been a scene in one of the birdman films where he's just in his underwear so like maybe that was really recognizable <laughs> it, it's new york though I, I think they just they're used to that kind of stuff that is true that is new york another question birdman the character what are his powers he seems like he can do like telekinesis or is that just him he can command uh comets to come down he can fly. Uh, so I don't think that the telekinesis powers yeah. are to be taken as Birdman's powers. I yeah. think that's him setting up the world of Birdman, potentially. I think that's also, uh, I think that's Riggins' um, ego coming out, uh, where he, again, is in this like delusional state. He is, he is blending reality and fiction. And so it, it's a, it's a like, hey, I can move this thing when really he's just poking it. Or, you know, I can throw the poster across the room without touching it when he just picks it up and throws it, you know. Like, like most psychics. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's him I think it's him starting to believe in the myth there as he's losing his mind. One last question. Ah. Matt, I think you've seen all the Best Picture winners. Yes. I've seen all, most of them. Like, well, all, all of us have seen a lot of them. Yes. I haven't seen that many comparatively. This one is a is superhero adjacent best picture winner. Mm-hmm. What other best picture winner would be would benefit from having some sort of superhero element to it, whether it's a superhero movie altogether or it has some kind of plot similar to a superhero movie? So you want me to pick only best picture winners? Just winners. Okay, because I was gonna say, well, I guess, I guess it will count because it 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 did win. I don't know unless someone's gonna talk me off the ledge here. Um, Silence of the Lambs. I mean, Hannibal Lecter is practically a movie villain, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of room there where you could essentially turn Agent Starling into some kind of superhero. Like, she could even be, like, just a Batman level. She doesn't need to have superpowers, but if capes and tights were added, sure, why not? I mean, in theory, his costume is there with the mask, if you will. It's all, all but that. Um, that's the easiest answer there. Uh, but for doing something, like, really obscure... Uh, maybe Wings, like the first film to ever win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Maybe it's like an Iron Man thing where they're just putting people in metal suits and shooting at each other instead of World War One Ace Combat. Okay, yeah. Um, that that one's <laughs> for you. Or if you did, uh, uh, I'm just trying. To None of these ones. are what I'm expecting you to say. No. Uh, well, what, okay, that's not true. Science and Lambs was pretty good. What were you expecting? I don't know. I, I really don't. I thought you were going to go much more um, well, out there. I thought you were going to say something like "Slumdog Millionaire" because blah blah blah, and it would be a stupid thing. But you just you sometimes you catch me off guard, man. Well, because like what what of the best picture winners just off the top of my head could be a superhero film, and that's the one that makes the most sense. Rocky. Every, everything else that could be a superhero film. Chariots of Fire is just a guy who has super speed. Yeah, or thinks he does. I mean, well, is, is it, everything everywhere all at once a superhero movie? That's the one that I was like, uh, it kind of already is that yeah, adjacent. Yeah. Multiverse of Madness, if you will, in kind of a way. I mean, Shape of Water kind of gets into the monstery part of it. That's true. That could be an Aquaman or a Namor, if you would. <laughs> what about Argo? But instead of Ben Affleck showing up, Iron Man shows up. I'd watch that. 
I'd watch that for sure. I was thinking like William Wallace is actually a Highlander type thing. Oh, yeah. Also he basically good. is. Also good. I was trying to um, find a way to make Driving Miss Daisy work. I was I, also I thinking about that. I, I can't was, think of it. I was also going to be making a bad joke about Forrest Gump, but decided uh, against it. Oh, I got it. What do you got? Batman v Superman, Kramer v Kramer. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, moving on to the cringe factor. What aged the worst? What doesn't look good anymore? There are a couple of things that are, you know, like in the movie you used to make uh, Edward Norton's character seem like even more of a dick, but that also includes, you know, sexual assault. Uh, and we could do without that. It's like, is that a a movie problem, or is that like a what the movie was like a problem with what? the movie was like pointing at anyway. I think there are just other ways to point at that problem without actually showing. Yeah. That. It was really brutal to watch. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it up with legacy. Will this movie live on for future generations? Is it a success? I, as a person that has watched all the Academy Award best picture winners, as you said before, Dan, uh, it does have a legacy because it's a best picture winner. Uh, and therefore it will always end up on people's lists. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. I know that that kind of touches on what we were talking with you, Tom. I don't know if it will be a go-to for people. I think people that really like it will like it. And people will still continue to discover it and mm-hmm. like it. Right. But I, I don't know if it's like, hey, you remember that? So as someone who really loves this movie, I don't think that it has much of a legacy aside from being remembered as beating other movies for Best Picture, right? Yeah. And again... And bringing I, back Michael Keaton. Well, that was a big deal. I, I think we can all say that was the other guys, but, you know. <laughs> uh, no, I know. But, like, the legacy of the film itself, I think, is actually relatively small. It's more the legacy of, of what surrounds it, a.k.a. the Oscar win, the the right. long take, right? More as a as a yeah. thing to point at rather than the movie itself. It has small legacies. Like, mm-hmm. the, yeah, just like being in the in the running or like being one of the movies that was not, or being one of the movies that won Best Picture. Like, people who might like look into Ed Norton's filmography, people who might look into Michael Keaton's filmography, people who might look into like interesting ways that movies were filmed and like, but it's not like a Birdman legacy, I guess. No, no. I think the biggest legacy might be the cinematography and the lawn takes. I mean, yeah. this, that was obviously a thing before this movie, but just think of how many times people try to copy this in small ways, sometimes big ways. Like 1917 was obviously a big way of doing this. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I feel like there were a ton of other movies that did like long, like six minute takes on like certain scenes. Like in uh, in James Bond, Spectre, there's like mm-hmm. the opening scene that's all one lawn take. Like that kind of stuff happens because there was, there was definitely a light switch that went on. I'm like, oh, people think that's cool. Yeah, well, Creed and, and is also a big the, one. Yeah, Creed's got one. Also, like the digital cinematography of it, it made it easier yeah. with mm-hmm. digital cameras. You could cheat. You could cheat. And a lot of people did cheat. Um, but I just think there's a lot of that can be pinned back to this movie. Yeah. Yeah. True. Well, I'm talking about like Spectre, you know, Sam Mendes dry run basically for 1917 which is a much bigger scale and True. was a, an incredibly successful you know like recreation of that right mm-hmm. yep um more so than more so than birdman was i don't know if we're talking long takes let's not uh disregard the copacabana scene of goodfellas wow oh yeah that or boogie nights like it, it was obviously a thing before and honestly this same year in 2014 uh there was a long take like this in true detective that 
oh. took the internet oh, by yeah. storm. Like mm-hmm. everyone online was like, "This is amazing! Like this is pure cinema." You know, I Which still it's really cool, but it's also like not that cool. <laughs> it's not a complicated long take, but I still bring up one of my favorite examples of a long take is in uh, Master of None, and there, there's a scene where he like drops the date off and is sitting in the back of the Uber just looking at his phone. And it is just this like glorious, like watching him almost like completely emotionless as you're like, Oh man, his life is falling apart. Like he's like, he feels empty. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. So the legacy of this movie is that we just talked about other movies, I guess. Yeah, I guess (laughs) that's anyway, let's wrap it up there. Birdman or the unexpected virtue of, Ignorance? Is that Correct. Right? Yes. He said ignorantly yes. and virtuously. Yeah. <laughs> virtuously. Uh, that, was, that was a good time. What's next, Dan? I'm... Next time, we have a true superhero movie. Oh, Yo, this one totally counted. Come at me. Yeah. Uh, next time, we are doing a big one. It is The Avengers Age of Ultron. Ooh. That's a weird one. It is. I Every time I go back to that film, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to like it as much, and I do enjoy it, and I have some big questions, which I can't wait to bring up again. Okay. We'll we'll be there in a couple weeks. We are Superhero Century. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and we will see you next time. (laughs) 